Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. 1895, H.G. Wells gives uh, life to this concept of time travel. Now, the most popular trilogy of all time with time travel is... Think back to the 80s. I know we have some younger ones in here. Think about back to the to 80s. The back to the, oh, back yeah, to the yeah. future, yes. Where we, if you haven't watched Back to the Future, you need to go this afternoon, it's rainy, watch Back to the Future. Yeah. We find Marty McFly, 17-year-old high school student, who's accidentally sent 30 years into the past with this time travel machine in the DeLorean, where he, uh, which was invented by his good friend, the kind of eccentric scientist, Doc Brown. And he finds himself mixed up in this time-altering state. Like, it could literally change the, the course of his life and the course of his history and leave him trapped in the past. Time traveling is fascinating. Like, we've probably all thought at some point, maybe as kids or even as adults, like, if I could time travel somewhere else. Like, some of you would love to go um, to the 70s or to the 50s or, or, or maybe sometime way beyond that. When you were born, that would be really strange. <laughs> Surely there's another time that's better than our time that we're currently living in. Surely there's other times that were more simple. The times our grandparents told us stories about before we had technology. Or if you're one who lives in a particularly difficult time, you think, man, I'd love to go to a time where it, it wasn't known to be very difficult. You know, I don't think any of us would choose to go to the Great Depression. I don't think any of us would choose to go to where there's the Great Plague. Future generations will not choose to go to when COVID-19 is a thing, but we would choose a time and place that kind of showed historically it was an easier time to live. I think it's safe to say that if we had this time machine, we always skipped over the early part of 2020, 2021, maybe even 2022. Like, I'm not sure at this point. Um, I know we're getting to a better place, but I'm like, maybe we need to go to 2030. That would mean I'm older, but if it means getting by all of these things. And so we would probably use the time machine for that. My guess is that the, the Christians in Asia Minor, if there had been such a thing as time travel and a time machine, they might have just chosen to, to go to a different time and place where it wouldn't be as difficult to be a Christian. Because they're, they're living in a time that's very challenging, very difficult. I was thinking about where were these Christians, maybe where would they have gone, based on the history that they knew. Maybe they would have traveled back to the Garden of Eden. Maybe they would have tried to stop Adam and Eve from sinning at all. Wouldn't that, I mean, it's kind of risky, but you think if I can go and just interject and no, don't do that. You're going to change the course of history for all of mankind. Maybe they'd want to go and travel and see what it was like to live under the leadership of a leader like Moses. What's this like? Or maybe they'd want to know what it's like to be part of King David's court. Or to walk with Jesus himself. I think I'd sign up for that one. Let's go hear Jesus deliver the Sermon on the Mount with backstage passes. We get like the whole in and outs of this thing. Like that would be an epic moment to actually experience. So it would be fun to imagine what time travel would be like. To kind of fantasize where it is that you would go. I would not want to go back to high school, but I do think it would be fun to go back to high school for like a weekend and live like the most epic high school weekend ever and go hear the bands I liked and I could still skateboard and be in better shape and just have fun with my friends. But we fantasize about an easier time and place. Something that's more simple. A time and place where we have not found ourselves. But for all the wishful thinking, Peter's going to remind his original audience, and I think he would remind us as well today, that we lived in a privileged time. Mm -hmm. 
We live in a privileged time over every one of those times. We live in a privileged time because we live presently in a time of fulfillment. Sure, we're living in an age where it's increasingly more and more difficult to be a Christ follower. We live in a city where it's increasingly more challenging to be bold in our faith. Where the church seems irrelevant and God may even at times appear silent or distant. But what Peter's going to do, he's going to show us, you may wish you lived in a different time and place. You may wish you lived in a time where God spoke out loud, where you heard him speak to the prophets. Some of those times in the Old Testament. But that is not how the prophets saw it, and that's what we're going to see this morning. That the prophets saw the reverse end of that, kind of like the grass is always greener. Like the prophets saw the opposite of the way that we maybe wish that we could, could go back and do it. And so Peter's going to do this morning, he's going to take us back to the place of our salvation. So I want you this morning, as we go into this sermon, we go into this, this text in a few minutes, think back on your salvation. That moment that you gave your life to Christ. Because the reality is for most of us, now maybe not all, most of us have this kind of, uh, I like to call it your camp high, or that initial, like, you get into that relationship with Christ. And you're going to storm the gates of hell with a water pistol. But then life kicks in, reality kicks in. Trials kick in, hardships kick in, marriage kicks in, all the things you still have to do in life, and, and, and sometimes you get further along, and we forget our first love in Christ, and we forget that moment of salvation, what it was like and how we got there. Because if you have been saved, I think this is what Peter would tell us today, if you have been saved, if you are in Christ, you are some of the most privileged people in all of the world, some of the most blessed people on earth that you have salvation in Christ. And so what Peter's going to do is he's going to take us on this journey of remembering the amazing grace that God extended to us and the fulfillment of our salvation that the prophets and the angels searched for and longed to experience, longed to know, but they never could. So let me pray for us again, and we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 12. God, we thank you again for this gathering. God, a weekend that maybe we feel a little more tired than normal. God, thank you for those who are in the room. I thank you for those tuning in online and for those who will go back and hear this later. God, I ask that you would remind us of our first love, that you would take us back to that place of the altar of salvation. God, where we first fell in love with you, where we first realized our need for you, that we came to you with our guilt, our shame, our sin, our brokenness, and you looked at us and called us your beloved. God, I pray for those that will hear this or are hearing this who don't know you yet. God, they would see this morning that salvation and your grace is available to them. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, immediately before the verses that we get into this morning, Peter's been talking about salvation. I've, I've told you that the last couple of weeks, but verses 3 through 12 is actually one long verse in our one sentence in Greek, but we've kind of broken it down into different little chunks. And so he's been talking about our salvation and how we have faith, though we have not seen him. And that the testiness of our faith, the suffering and the trials we go through, that's what proves our faith is actually genuine. And so let me actually start reading by looking at verses 8 and 9 from last week. I'm going to look at them real briefly, and then we'll get into verses 10 through 12. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So he's talking here about the fact that we are saved. 
So he's, he's talking once again to this Christian audience in Asia Minor. And now in verses 10 through 12, what he's going to do is take us back to what I call the altar, to the moment of our salvation and where we gave our life to Christ and how amazing this is. So let's pick up verse 10. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so point number one this week is that we live in a privileged time of grace and salvation. You see, the link between verses 9 from last week and verses 10 for this week is the term salvation. The salvation that these believers are experiencing now, which will be consummated in the future, which is kind of pointed to in the previous verses, what's also prophesied in the past. And that's what he's showing us this week, that this was actually foretold. This was prophesied, and now you're living into that reality. You're living into that moment. Now, the Old Testament prophets, they predicted the future, but they did not see the full picture when they were prophesying. They didn't know who Jesus was when they wrote. They were predicting about Jesus coming. They didn't know when Jesus would arrive on the scene. They predicted around the time and the, the um, circumstances around when he would arrive, but they didn't have an exact, you know, when it would be. They did, however, predict details about his life. They foretold that Christ would come and that he would suffer and then that he would later be glorified. As it was the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, who was speaking through the prophets. So it wasn't the prophets speaking in and of themselves, it was the Spirit of God speaking through them, which is why it actually came true, that the future was actually predicted. Verse 10, it says the prophets searched and inquired carefully about the salvation. Now you think about the words searched and inquired, both words imply there's an active effort in looking to find something. One of my children, who will go unnamed this morning, stole a couple of sentimental coins that I have um, in my bedroom. Apparently they knew where those coins were as well. So I frantically was searching yesterday before I accused and blamed. <laughs> and so I thought, I thought about this, one. I was searching and then I was inquiring of him, where are those coins? What did you do with those coins? I'm searching through. So I can imagine the, the prophets are searching and inquiring about the salvation that they are predicting. When will they come? When will this take place? What will it look like? What is the forgiveness of sins? And so they searched and they acquired by actively seeking God. Where did they search? They searched earlier scriptures. What did the prophets before us say? What, is, what does the scripture say? They searched their own prophecies. Did we, did we miss it? Where, where is it in here? They were looking for the salvation and the grace that they were predicting. And they prophesied, they predicted. But we now know what they didn't know. We now know that it was all about Jesus, right? Now, I think that they probably had some level understanding of that, but we see the full picture. We have full, all of scripture that we can look at at the beginning as it was prophesied, what it was pointing to in Jesus coming, his life, his death, his resurrection. And so we know the full picture. In fact, we can look all the way back in the book of Genesis. Now, if you know the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve come onto the scene. Well, you get to chapter three, not very far into the book, and they sin. And that changed the course of history. And so Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15. It says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. 
He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What God just did is he referred to and told us that the virgin birth, which Jesus would one day be born of, all the way back in Genesis 3. That all the way back then, that this is what would come one day. And we, unlike the prophets, we get to see the full picture of what that looked like. The full picture of it pointing to Jesus. We live now in the fulfillment of that time. Later, uh, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, 4 and 5. He says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You see, the sufferings of the Messiah, the sufferings of Jesus are progressively revealed in the Old Testament. They point not only will he come, but they point how will he come, the life he will live when he's here, and also the suffering that will take place. And perhaps this is no clearer than in Isaiah, if you know the Old Testament. So he told of Messiah's rejection. He told us he would be oppressed, that he would have judgment, afflictions, eventual death, and his subsequent vindication, what, what Peter here calls glorious. And so on the basis of the Messiah's work, what Peter, I mean, what um, Isaiah has done, he said that God has promised to restore his people. And he's going to do it through this man. This man's name is Jesus. And it's not just for Israel, but it's for all nations, for all peoples, for all times. And so this is the salvation that's been prophesied by the prophets, that this would come. And this is the salvation that they were searching and inquiring carefully, when will this take place? How will this actually be? And the salvation which Peter's readers now enjoyed, and they've been set apart by the Spirit, that you are now living in what the prophets were talking about. And so this is the same salvation that's available today. If you aren't saved and yet following Jesus, that the, the, the eight first Christians here in Asia Minor, that they're experiencing and living, that it's also available to us. That's been prophesied, it's been predicted, it's happened, it's fulfillment, and we're still living in the fulfillment of that. And so if you look for it, the storyline of the Old Testament is full of Jesus all throughout. And we see the consummation of these prophecies taking place in the New Testament. And this shows that you are living in the reality that God had been planning thousands of years. I mean, think about that. All the way back in Genesis 3, we're told that Jesus would be born and how he'd be born. And that in his life, death, and resurrection, that salvation would be made possible at one, sometimes one day in the future. And we are living in that day now. And so the fact that you are saved, if you are, means you're part of God's plan that he enacted all the way back in Genesis. I think sometimes we forget that part of our salvation because we get further and further away from that moment, of, from the altar moment where we gave our lives to Christ. And we kind of forget what it actually is that we're experiencing and walking in. This brings me to our second point this week. The Spirit testifies to God's amazing grace. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So he uses this phrase, the Spirit of Christ within them. It's referring to the Holy Spirit, but in predicting the coming of the Messiah. That was that was the focus and the activity of the Old Testament. The focus activity was Jesus. And so when you ask, what's the Bible about? Every single book, the whole 
Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus. That's why it's okay to give a Sunday school answer because that's the truth and the reality. So much so that Peter calls him the spirit of Christ. In other words, when the prophets were writing these prophecies, the spirit was the one indicating to them what would happen. He said Jesus would come. He would eventually would die for their sins. And so they knew the Messiah was coming, but here's the thing. The prophets longed to experience him themselves. The prophets longed to experience what they were prophesying about. The amazing accuracy of these predictions that Christ would come, that he would live this life, that he would suffer and die and raise again to new life. This is what has convinced many people throughout history of the accuracy of Scripture because these events actually took place. And so when people deny Scripture or, or that Scripture actually took place, you got to remember, it's a history book. There's a lot of stuff that we believe from our history books of school that most likely have been rewritten or things have been completely pulled out. I've been learning that in my adult life over the last several years. And I'm like, this is a history here, a history that we have proven accuracy that actually took place and happened. It's actually not a big step in my mind of faith to step out and believe it. Peter, later in chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, we'll get there in a few weeks, he points back to Isaiah 53. He says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So why did they long to know the Messiah? Why did they long to know when he was coming? Because they too wanted to experience the goodness and grace of the Messiah themselves. Here's the reality. If you are a Christ follower, you have experienced his goodness and his grace. You've experienced something that the prophets who prophesied about these events happening never got to experience. But they wanted to. And that's what this is telling us. That they're the ones who wrote it, predicted it, prophesied what happened. It comes in the future. It happens, but they never personally experienced it themselves. So you may wonder, as I did, did the Old Testament prophets go to heaven? Have you ever thought, what happened to these Old Testament prophets? I would say yes. According to Hebrews chapter 11, 13. It's always good to interpret scripture with scripture. So Hebrews eleven thirteen 13. says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And so they all longed to see him and experience him, but they didn't, but they did believe he was coming and they believed what they were predicting was true and therefore they went to heaven. And so Peter is saying this morning, in spite of your suffering, in spite of the trial that you might be experiencing, you live in a privileged time. A time when the Messiah has already come and fulfilled what he promised. A time when salvation is made available to all, all mankind. Every man, woman, and child in all cities. In Portland, in Denver, in Kansas, in Charlotte, in Boston, in New York, and for all of the world for Russia, for Ukraine, for India, for China, that this salvation has now come and it is available to all. It's a privileged time to be alive. A time when the Spirit's no longer pointing forward to what will happen, because it has happened, but proclaiming that he has come in this reality through his believers. So now you and I kind of get that role in a different way of the prophets that we get to, to proclaim boldly 
that Jesus has come, that Jesus is alive and that it's available to you as well. And so it was a time of fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, but now it was also a time of salvation. And so we actively live in that time, and we too have the privilege of the salvation that we get to go and take this message to those around us. And what Peter's doing this entire section, you have to look back a couple of weeks, but he's been building. Remember, he's talking about our joy here. He's trying to restore our joy in our faith. The joy of your salvation in the midst of your sojourning, regardless where you have found yourself actively, regardless of the momentary affliction you might be experiencing, he's taking us back to that place of the altar to say, remember your faith that you have. Remember what is to come. And remember that, that the prophets long to experience what you are actually getting to experience. And so church, that ought to give us a reason to celebrate. That ought to give us a reason to remember that that God chose us to live in a time and a place in the history where we can actually actively walk in salvation. That should give us what we looked at last week, this inexpressible joy. A joy that we can't explain, that we can't describe, but just knowing Christ and Christ alone that gives us this inexpressible joy. Then he talks about another group. Verse 12. Point number three. We experience a privileged salvation. It says it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So not only do we live in a privileged time, we experience a privileged salvation. Christians have received an astounding blessing. The Old Testament prophets were not serving themselves. The Old Testament prophets were serving you and me. They were serving the New Testament church. And then it says here that the angels, the angels long to look. What are they longing to look at? Salvation. Salvation. What has been accomplished in Christ. So compared to the angels, I never thought about this until this week. So compared to the angels, we are privileged. Now I want you to think about that for just a moment. Angels live in the throne room of heaven. Angels do God's errands. I mean, right? Like, what, what's your job description? It's like, oh, I do errands for God. <laughs> and they're probably pretty cool ones, too. Like, hey, go save this person from this car crash. Hey, go, go, go I don't know what, what it's actually like, but, you know, go with this person as they go up through the clouds into heaven. Go, go do these things. Angels observe the unfolding of God's plan throughout history for salvation. Right? They had a front row seat of like, oh man, Adam and Eve, they just, oh man, they just sinned. What are you, you going to do, God? Just wait. I'm going to send part of my trinity. I'm going to send Jesus. Right? They got to see the whole thing unfold. Angels were there when, when God revealed his plans to his prophets. Well, well God, how's mankind going to learn about it? Well, there's going to be these guys, they're going to be called prophets, and they're going to predict the future. And, and it's going to actually come true and it's going it's to take place. Oh, that's really good, God. We didn't think of that one. Angels were there when the Father sent the Son to the earth and revealed the salvation plan for all of humanity. They got to see, like, God's like, hey, all right, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which one of us is going to go to earth? All right, Jesus, you, you got the short end of the stick. You're going to go, and you're going to be the God-man, and you're going to live this life, and you're going to stay perfect because you're God, but you're going to have to live around a lot of brokenness. But you're going to get to do really cool miracles. Oh, by the way, towards the end, you're actually going to have to go on a tree, what we call the cross, and you're going to suffer. And your body's going to be broken. But don't worry, it's going to be broken for all of mankind so that they can come back and be restored to us. 
It says the angels rejoice in heaven when sinners on earth repent of their sins. And so the angels are like, they get the front row seat, you know, they like know the full game. And it's like, oh, he's going to touch, yes, yeah, someone else, they get their life to cry, and they get to rejoice. So do you feel more privileged than the angels? What does your life look like? What does it look like when you get up every day? What are your type of errands that you do? Do you feel more privileged than the angels? Peter, why is it again that you said that we're more privileged than the angels? Because the angels long to look at the salvation you and I experience. What are these things? The grace of God, the gospel, the good news proclaimed to you through the Holy Spirit. But why do angels have these desires? Think about it. What's the one thing, the one area of God's character that angels do not get to experience? It's God's grace and salvation. The Bible tells us about a group of fallen angels. And God never extends his grace and forgiveness to that group of angels. In fact, it says they're waiting upon judgment. Meaning for that group of fallen angels, there is no salvation for them. But there's another group of angels. Some of these like, like Gabriel and Michael, to name a couple of them. They've never sinned, and so as a result, they've never needed God's grace or forgiveness. They've experienced God's glory. They've experienced God's beauty. They've experienced God's majesty, his love and holiness. They've, been, they've experienced every attribute of God except for one, his grace and his forgiveness. And so the day that you got saved, the day that you trusted Christ, the angels saw that. And what it says is they rejoiced. Like they threw the biggest party at your salvation but it's like it also produced in them this unbelievable longing that they will never understand or experience the salvation that you and I get to experience. They experience all those other things. They get that front row seat and they get the cheer. They know it's a glorious thing, but they also have this longing to know what it's like and they'll never actually know. And so church, Peter is saying, this ought to blow your mind that the angels long to look at what you are experiencing and so the prophets and angels, they both experienced some really incredible things. But they would trade places with you because they would get to experience the forgiveness of their sin. They would get to experience the grace that God extends to us and the salvation that you and I have. So the things the prophets foretold that would take place, the things that the angels get to rejoice about, they want to know what it's like to experience it. We all have those things in our lives, right? We all look and maybe you never went to prom. You're like, I want to know what it's like to go to prom or... I want to know what it's like to live here. I want to know what it's like to live in this time in history. The angels and the prophets long to know what it's like to experience the salvation that you and I have experienced and that's freely offered to all of mankind. And so Peter's main point throughout is that believers in Jesus Christ, that you are incredibly blessed to live in a time and a place where the predictions of the prophets have come true, have come to pass, and that salvation is yours. A similar lesson was communicated to the apostles by Jesus himself. Matthew uh, chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. It said, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And so you may at times wish you had access to a time travel machine like a DeLorean. But Peter reminds us today, there's no better time to live than the present. No matter how hard your life may get, no matter how much we get oppressed by the government or how much discrimination we face, we are privileged to be alive today where we live in a time when Christ has been revealed and that we are experiencing his salvation. 
And she says that we're more privileged than either the prophets or the angels. And so I want to end with a simple question. Have you lost the joy of God's amazing grace that you received? Because there was a time in your life, I don't know all of your stories, but I know enough of them. There was a time in your life when you met Christ and there was a joy that was inexpressible. Have you lost that joy? When was the last time it hit you that you were a sinner? A sinner who was dead. A sinner who was going to spend eternity separated from God. But then he came down. Then he died for you. He reconciled you to himself. When was the last time that that reality hit you and caused you to just even smile and have an inexpressible joy? Because that's what it should cause in us. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe because like Peter, you're, you're experiencing uh, suffering right now in your life. Maybe you're going through a trial and you're like, God, I just can't get there. I just, I'm just not there. I'm not at that place to experience this joy. Maybe it's something in your family or your career. Or maybe your life just isn't turning out the way that you thought it would by the age that you are. You thought it would look very different. Maybe God just honestly feels distant right now. You're just like, I just don't experience his grace and love and goodness the way I once did. Maybe you have sin in your life. Maybe you have a pattern of sin or just bitterness or fear or selfish ambition that's just causing you to kind of keep God at, a, at an arm's length. Maybe sin has just taken root in your life. I was doing some gardening this week in my yard. I'm pulling out all these roots, right? All these things of, of these weeds that just grow up and they're trying to destroy my grass. My grass looks pretty good, but they're trying to destroy my grass and my garden. And so it's like I'm pulling these up. Sin's that same way. Sin's like those weeds and they get in our heart and they take root. And it kind of makes it hard to see clearly the God, grace of God in our lives. Or maybe just the busyness of life, right? We all get busy. When someone says, oh, I'm busy, I'm like, we're all busy. Don't tell me you're busy. But maybe the busiest of life has just made it to where you're just, you're not making time for God, to hear from God. And you just don't experience that joy. If that's you, I think this is what Peter would do this morning. I think Peter would come in. He'd put his arm around you. He wouldn't judge you. And he would say, do you remember the day you were saved? He'd want to take you back to that place, to the altar of your salvation. It's kind of like marriage. I'll be just real quick and I'll be done. I know some of us are in the room are married. Some of us are not. Some of us are about to get married. And usually dating couples or those who are engaged are like, you know, googly eyes and like, ah, oh, this love's going to always be this way. And they think it'll never change. And they hear married couples talk and they're like, I remember being that guy at like 20 engaged, like, oh, why are they saying that? But then you get married and then a reality of uh, rent or a mortgage or kids or jobs or no jobs or moving family, in-laws, all these things, right? They all kind of get combobulated. And it's not that you don't love each other. But the love looks different. I would say it, it, it matures. And at times you might find yourself in your marriage, we're about to celebrate 15 years, and you might go, do I actually love her? No, I don't ever, you don't ever tell your spouse that, by the way. Do I actually love her? And she probably does the same. Do I actually love him? And you kind of, you kind of sometimes you notice your relationship's growing apart, and other times it grows closer together. But you know what's really good to do in those moments? To go back to your wedding altar. Go back to the place of that day when I, when I was standing up there nervously in a tuxedo and I looked and I watched my bride in a white dress walking down the aisle. And you're reminded of your first love. You're reminded of that moment of how you felt the overwhelming joy that was inexpressible. And you go, that's why I love her. Yes, life looks different. I'm going through a suffering, I'm going through a trial, but that's why I love her. And salvation's the same way. 
God is saying, go back to that moment that you were saved, that moment that you recognize and realize that apart from me, you would die and be separated from me. But you're remembering that I offered salvation to you and that you grabbed it. And you might be limping to the finish line, that the salvation has been made available to you and it is yours. Go back to that moment. Because the fact that you are saved makes you the most unimaginably blessed people in all of the world, that this has been available to us. Go back to the altar. Go back to that moment and remember, and I promise you, it'll help your joy return. Let me pray for us and Ben's gonna come back up and we're gonna uh, sing a song of praise, a joyous song in response to the word of God. God, we thank you for another week that we can gather as your church. A week that we maybe felt more tired than normal with the time change. But God, we thank you for the reminder of your salvation. God, we take it for granted if we're honest. We easily forget. We feel like we're owed your salvation. We feel like we're good enough, that we're generally good people. But God, the reality is we're not. Apart from you, we would have been lost and separated for all of eternity. God, we thank you that we get to experience and live into the reality of what the prophets prophesied about. God, we thank you that we get to experience your salvation, that the angels get to rejoice when we come to you, but they long to know what it's actually like. And God, we pray that you would help us return to the inexpressible joy that only you can give us through your son, Jesus. And God, that we would also be reminded that the same message you have given us is what the hope for those around us, God, in our city, our world. And God, that we would not take that lightly, but that we would take that joy, that joy of your amazing grace. We want to share it with those around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.